We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Okay, so DNC 46 through 48. And um, in DNC 46 is the bulk of it. 47 and 48 are, are a lot smaller. And 46 has got the, the kind of the bulk of the message of this lesson. And even in like the the lesson manual, I'm, I always go to the Sunday school manual just because I think it kind of gives us a slightly different perspective. And it basically starts out with chapter 46 or section 46 talking about uh, we should welcome all to Jesus Christ Church is the heading. And it's basically talking about the first seven verses there. And um, there were a couple of things that kind of stood out in there. Really what, what's happening, if we look at kind of the, the backstory to this, so the context behind chapter four or section 46 is that they're kind of um, being kind of selective on who they're allowing in their meetings. They're not allowing everybody. And it's only believers in certain meetings, and it's only members in certain meetings. And it's not really at all what the Lord wants. And he makes that abundantly clear <laughs> in the first seven verses here. I don't know. I, I think that without being over the top kind of harsh to them, I think he's basically like, look, don't cast anybody out of your sacrament meetings. Don't push people out of there, out of uh, what are the other ones? Your your confirmation meetings, if they're there to, to genuinely want to learn, if they're interested in learning, why are you pushing them out? And it's something that that's carried on all the way until now. And I think we see it on on every single church building, visitors welcome. You know, we, we welcome people to come in. We want people to come to our meetings. We want people to participate. That's been a little bit more difficult, I think, with Zoom church, because <laughs> you kind of have to know where to go to find it. But as we get back into the norm, I think visitors welcome is the, the message we want to send. The challenge with that is, I, while I, I, I don't think I've ever witnessed anyone saying, you're not one of us, you can't come in here into a normal church building. There's kind of subtle ways that we as members kind of give off that vibe, um, that you're different than us, or that, you know, you see someone come in and they're not wearing a white shirt and tie they might be wearing like a nice dress shirt and some jeans or something. And it does it does kind of catch your eye because it's different. And maybe they're an investigator and maybe they're just someone who was like, I want to come and see what this is all about or whatever. But there's always this kind of like, they're not one of us, you know? There's also like, you know, I remember in Chicago, it was really eye-opening for me because in Logan Square, one of the churches pretty close to the loop to downtown Chicago, it was the church was like up on stilts 
you know, it was really funny. It was one of the one of the few buildings that has a sec that has a baptismal font above the ground. You know, that's you know. But watching the sacrament meetings there, it was just anybody and anybody. You know, where we here in Utah, it's very common to see almost everybody similarly dressed, acting very similarly. Over there is very, and it was, it's very common in other places to go to a church for like sanctuary. To go to, a, we've had people just come in saying, hey, can I get some gas money? Uh, can I get some help? Can I get some food? You know, and that that is, the church does provide help like that. I think there's something called the agent bishop. Every, every, every building has a bishop designated to provide like walk-in help mm-hmm. and, and charity and services for people. Um, but um, one of the things I thought it was really interesting in verse seven of verse 42 is right in verse six, he, the Lord ends up saying, do not cast them out that are earnestly seeking after the kingdom. You shall not cast them out. And in verse seven, he says, but you are commanded in all things to ask God who giveth liberally and that which the spirit testifies unto you. Even so, I would that you should do in all holiness of heart, walking uprightly before me, considering the end of your salvation doing all things with prayer and thanksgiving, that ye may not be seduced by evil spirits or doctrines of the devil or the commandments of men, for some are of men and others of the devil. And and he's he's telling the church, it's one of the times when the church is being given some guidance on how to conduct meetings, how to how to deal with visitors, how to, you know, how do we have a structure? He's their saints are being told, you shall teach by the spirit. In verse, uh, I think verse two, it says, uh, conduct all meetings as directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. And then he's telling us to welcome everybody who's earnestly seeking. And then he's going to tell us, seek out the gifts of the Spirit. You know, how do you not be deceived? And that these gifts are for the benefit of the believers, you know, to bless them. Not so much to prove the gospel's true, to prove you have superpowers, to prove that you're you're more important than somebody else, that they that everything needs to be done with gratitude and in the name of the Savior, and for the purposes of building the church, and it's it's interesting because the church at this time is taking a lot of different converts from different faiths and in some cases from different countries, a lot of immigrants, and now how are we united and how are we to conduct ourselves, you know? What does worship, Sabbath worship look like? These terms like building the kingdom was a, was, is, is a normal term we use. And sometimes the way we can make people feel uh, like outsiders and not feel so welcoming is sometimes our vocabulary or how used to we are to the proceedings and just simple things. You know, Sunday school is a common term, but our Sunday school is slightly different. Relief society, the youth is split up into like CTR numbers and then valiant numbers, and the 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 the, the young men are speed, split up into deacons, teachers, priests, the young women into beehive, Maya maids, and laurels, you know, and things like that that can people can feel like what is going on, and to us they may be normal, um, but to newcomers, you know, we we just always have to have the eye to try to view things through their eyes. Sometimes we think visitors, they they understand you know, what we take for granted of how the proceedings are. But even now, you know, there are the proceedings and how things, the like the unwritten order of things, 
but there's also like the essence of the gospel you know a few years ago there's been a big push to make sacrament meetings centered around the savior we have been giving instructions to make fast and testimony meetings about testimony bearing not travel logs you know <laughs> we we've yeah. been instructed to teach as the savior you know we've had courses where we try to teach by principle and try to be guided by the spirit and and solicit participation that the revelation is scattered among the group that it's not just i'm going to lecture and see how great i am that everyone can be benefited the learner and the teacher can both be edified by the spirit and and it's it's just interesting how even in our day we are still receiving doctrine and covenant sections 46 in through our prophets and our leaders they're trying to help us how to conduct our meetings better and there's always time whenever we feel we've we've got it figured out it, there the lord's plan is to continuously help us get better and better and better and better and better, and better, and better you know yeah i i think one of the things that i always saw when we got either someone new to come into the ward or something like that especially on my mission i was kind of like okay yeah, come as you are. We don't we don't care how you're dressed. It's fine. Welcome to the ward and and whatever. But then it was like, oh, you're you're an investigator now. You're getting close to baptism. Well, it's time we got you dressed right. You know, it's time we got you a white shirt and tie and we, you know, and it was almost like you you need to start looking more like us. And that I get it, I get it. But at the same time, it always bugged me the wrong. You know, it felt yeah. like. Oh, you're you're not only going to join us, but we instead of come as you are and bring what what you have to bring to the table, um, it's more like come become like us, and See, that that can that can be a precarious thing, I think. Yeah, that's dangerous because I think the term Sunday best was meant to mean bring your best self, come yeah. prepared to the Lord, and wash yourself, be be clean. You're about to. Feel the spirit, renew your co baptismal covenant, take the sacrament, you know, and you're doing it for the Lord. There's a thin line of when we start doing it for ourselves that I think it becomes prideful, it becomes wrong. I think this is just me talking all of this, you know, you can throw me off a bus for all I can. But <laughs> I think the Lord is much pleased, uh, pleased more with you coming with a broken heart and a contrite spirit than coming in a certain type of shirt or a certain type of thing. The, the, it's, it's interesting how the Lord, the greatest, for me, the greatest testimony of the gospel, the greatest fruit of the spirit for me is the change of heart that it works inside of us. How we begin to view things different, act differently, think differently, how we just... We can see with new eyes, hear with, hear with new ears. That, to me, is the greatest testimony of the gospel. And how do we show that appreciation is, is different for everybody? The Lord wants us to give him our best. And he gave us a couple examples in the scriptures of what the best is. The best is not what the world judges to be the best. It's not the best based on the world's quantity or quality. It's the best based on our integrity and our real desire to serve him. And I always think about the widow's might. The widow's might to the Lord, she gave the most. Mm -hmm. And then you think about Cain and Abel, 
one was a holy offering and one was an unholy one. And our motives matter. And so when we go worship or we see other worships, it, it would be very unwise of us to judge someone else's worship based on their appearance and because th- in their heart they may be bringing the best offering to the lord and to us busy judging others we may have missed the mark and we may be the ones under condemnation you know what i mean well yeah i think that's actually the biggest challenge is while we want everyone to feel comfortable and while we want everyone to va- to respect the the meetings and to bring their sunday best in every way I think that we we really got to be careful about what that actually comes across as that we're not coming to people saying you need to dress like us you need to look like us to be one of us and you know people may naturally say well it seems like everyone wears white shirts or something like that here in a tie and i didn't know i want to fit in i want to feel like i belong i'm going to do that too if they choose to do that that's fine but i i, I don't know i always kind of got this like not in my stomach when we'd have someone who when we're meeting with them as missionaries they're progressing a lot that you can see they're making huge changes in their life that they're really doing all the right stuff they start to come to church and then there's like that somebody will be like do you have a white shirt brother you know and it's with good intention of you know wanting to maybe offer them one or something like that but they're like oh no well maybe maybe we have one extra we'll see if the elders quorum can get you know and i'm like ah <laughs> Please focus more on the people, okay? Don't focus so much on what they look like or what they're what they're wearing. And maybe maybe this isn't a huge issue anymore, but I don't know. It just seems like that I would I've never heard anyone say you're not welcome here. Please don't come in and sit with us in our meeting. But I have seen awkward situations like that, where someone might feel like I don't I don't know if I belong there. And it's not an outright. It's not an overt way of saying. We don't want you here. You're not welcome here. But there's like subtle ways where people are made to feel like, oh, if I'm not exactly like everybody else, maybe I shouldn't be here. Well, you also like um, there there are certain traditions we have in society. Yeah. Like a tie. It's such a weird thing. It's <laughs> it is really a weird thing you just put around your collar and that symbolizes some sort of class and tidiness and nice. But what if we had, what if we lived in a different time and it was a different thing? What if the thing was to have something else, right? You, you know, and, and there are certain things and, and the, you have to look at it through the Lord's point of view. The Lord is looking at all of humankind through all the times. And we know that <laughs> to the Israelites in Israel, their Sunday best was probably different, you know? The way that they expressed themselves, their mannerisms, the 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 social um conditions of their time you know the social attitudes and, and habits it's probably different the pioneers is different you know you you think about eras where <laughs> this is this is going into a weird place you think about eras where uh deodorant and soap wasn't a common thing <laughs> could the way you smell you know the things like this where to us we're conditioned to we have this certain way of doing things and and ultimately what matters is the heart and and um and and we all change there are times when i felt certain way i dress meant a certain thing and 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 i may have done it for bad reasons or good reasons but through time everyone matures everyone needs the opportunity to bring what you have 
and then let the Lord take you further, you know, and whatever that is in there's, I can tell that there's ways that I used to speak, but I don't speak anymore. I've changed the way because not so much. I know not to say certain things like it's obvious. You don't say swear words, you know, <laughs> but there are people that swear. And is that the worst thing in the world? Well, it depends where their heart is. It depends what's going on, you know, and, and sometimes we can get so caught in these superficial things where it's like, but where is the heart and where is your heart and are you measuring yourself? You know, it's really interesting how the Lord is um, gives us all these examples in verse 16 is really cool where he says he's talking about the 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 well, we can read for 15 15 is important too. and and when he says uh, to some it is given the Holy Ghost to know the differences of administration as it will be pleasing unto the same Lord according as the Lord will suiting his mercies according to the conditions of the children of man. And again, it is given by the Holy Ghost to some to know the diversities of operations, whether they be of God, that the manifestations of the Spirit may be given to every man to profit withal. And then he goes to talk about various gifts of the Spirit. And it's funny, that, well, not funny, but it's interesting that in a, in a revelation that is targeted to the saints, one, to not exclude others and include everybody who's willing, then to, to our, our meetings should be governed by the Spirit, you know, and we should seek to, to preach of Christ and have the Holy Ghost. Then he's giving us an example of the different gifts of the Spirit. He's already telling us the way that these gifts manifest are going to be different. So it would be a big problem if of saints we said, there is one way that the Spirit manifests itself, you know, and that is a very big temptation. Just as there is one way to worship, there is one way to do family home evening, there is one way to preach the gospel. I think the Lord loves the variety and loves reminding us there's a lot of diversity and variety. Do not dismiss things because they don't come in the one way you think they do. And then he enumerates that by, by just going through there's, the, there's one to speak in the word of wisdom. There's one that's the word of knowledge. There's ones to have faith to be healed. There's one to be able to be healed by, you know, there's one that can be give work miracles and have prophecies and discerning of spirits and the gifts of tongue and interpretation of tongues, you know. And, and then he says, 29, that unto the sum it may be given to have all those gifts, that there may be a head in order that every member may be profited thereby, and that he asks in the Spirit, ask according to the will of God, whether it be done even as he asked. So he's he's talking about how even all these gifts are to profit the children of God. They're not to profit ourselves. They're not to aggrandize ourselves. And then he, he kind of ends, you know, and ye must practice virtue and holiness before me continuously. I think... One of the, like you were saying, the whole purpose of these gifts is to benefit the church, benefit the members, to help one another. One of the ones that tends to stand out, I mean, we know that healing happened. We know that miracles, that's pretty kind of vague, you know, working of miracles. Even prophecy, we know that that discerning of spirits, he kind of gets into that a little bit, talking about how it's the responsibility of church leadership to kind of use that gift of discernment to make decisions. And then it kind of comes the gift of tongues. Speak with tongues and the interpretation of tongues. 
And that one is probably one of the most misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that in a lot of ways, well, we're not the only church that, that talks about this gift. There are a lot of churches that, that do uh, talk about tongues and, and even speak in tongues in their meetings and stuff. And um, there's actually a church history topic uh, essay about the gifts of tongues. And it kind of explains to us that there's kind of two ways that this uh, can be can manifest itself. One is through glossolalia, which is when someone starts speaking in an unintelligible language, something that's kind of unable to be understood by normal people. But that happened in the time of the apostles, in the time of Christ, all the way until uh, the early Latter-day Saints even had that happen from time to time. And people would translate that. And uh, there's even a story of, in 1835, it says, Elizabeth Ann Whitney received a blessing from the church patriarch, Joseph Smith Sr., in which she was promised the gift of singing inspirationally. During the meeting, Whitney arose and began singing in an unknown language. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Parley P. Pratt interpreted her song for other hearers. In ancient days there lived a man, the song began, amidst a pleasant garden where lovely flowers and mortal bloomed and shed around of rich perfume, behold, his name was Adam. Joseph Smith Sr. believed Whitney sang in the pure language of heaven. Instances of glossolalia, like Whitney's singing, occurred in some early American church meetings, and though it was frowned upon by many Christians, the practice resonated with early Latter-day Saints, who believed a revitalization of spiritual gifts was an important part of the restoration of the gospel. Brigham Young regarded speaking in tongues as a spiritually electrifying experience and an important part of his conversion. So, obviously, the, the part that becomes complicated about that is... How do you know when it's real? How do you know when it's not just someone making a bunch of noise and they're in cahoots with somebody else who's over there going, oh, let me interpret real fast. He's saying that Feely needs to give me his farm and the Lord saying this through, you know, how do we know that this isn't being used as a manipulative thing? And that's where kind of that gift of discernment and where the Lord says, you know, use this wisely and pray for the Holy Ghost to guide you throughout all of this, because there will be times when you feel, what what do I know if this is actually from God or is this from man? That's when it's wise to pray and ask for guidance from the Holy Ghost. The other way that it's used is known as xenoglossia, and that was manifest on the day of Pentecost when the ancient disciples of Jesus Christ miraculously spoke in foreign languages and thus introduced the gospel to the Gentiles. This is kind of what you hear about uh, missionaries that maybe are struggling with their language abilities in the mission field and they say a prayer and they uh, suddenly can speak the language perfectly, even for just one meeting. That's kind of that, that form that the gift of tongues can manifest itself. There's a example given in here. Let's see, where is it? As a George Q. Cannon was in Hawaii and he kind of struggled with that. There's another one, another missionary, Hiram Jensen, a new missionary in Norway in the 1890s was discouraged when people ridiculed him for his inability to speak. He stopped in a grove of trees and prayed the Lord would give him the gift of tongues. Jensen testified from that day, I spoke Norwegian with more ease than I have ever spoken English. So there are instances of this kind of way of happening. But I think, like you were saying before, this type, this type of spiritual gift will only manifest itself, will only be given to us when it's necessary and only in the way that it's necessary. And it's not that you're going to suddenly 
you know, that you can just call upon heaven whenever you want for whatever reason to suddenly be able to speak Chinese without any effort, without any, you know, I just want to, I need to be able to speak to this guy, gift of tongues. You know, that's not how that works. And obviously both George Q. Cannon in Hawaii and Hiram Jensen, they struggled for a bit. They were working on it. They were doing their part to try and figure out these languages. And, and then, and only then did they pray and ask, ask for help. And then it was given. I, I think, I think, yeah, exactly like you said. I think the, these gifts of the spirit aren't shortcuts. No. And and they're they're done, as the Lord has said, as mercies. That they're mercies for His followers that are believers, you know, uh, like tender mercies. I remember distinctly when I got set apart as a missionary by my state president. That He blessed me. It was it was a weird thing, like and that's why it stuck in my mind. It blessed me to be able to find places and like be good at directions, basically, like addresses and directions. And if anyone knows me, I'm not good with names. <laughs> I I substitute a lot of things. I paraphrase a lot of things. And if you try to find places in Chicago, which mm -hmm. is not laid in a grid system, and I remember. I never had an issue. It was an easy thing. We would get a map at the local 7-Eleven. We'd figure out where things are. And most of the time, it was like the first time we got there, you know. And I remember driving the transfer van, helping drive it down one-way streets. It, that was never a source of anxiety for me. It took effort. And I remember looking back and saying, wow, that was such a blessing. And I consider that a gift of the Spirit somehow. And, and there are things that I think... When you're doing what you need to be doing, the Lord will give you help. And it's help to bless others and to bless you and let you know that he's aware what he's asking of you. He's aware that that there are many instances. The whole essence of the atonement is that we will reach as far as we can and falling short, he reaches the rest. And that's what I feel like these spiritual gifts are, is we we are willing and of a good heart in nature trying to carry the work forward. And as we do it, we will see these tender mercies that will help us. It's not a substitute for study. It's not a substitute for effort. It's not a substitute for repentance, for using wisdom, for, you know, it, it's not a substitute. It is a tender mercy, you know. And the, I think the way the Lord points it out in these sections is that it's pretty prevalent that humans use miracles to fool each other, to control each other, and to try to um, exercise unrighteous dominion. And I think it's very merciful and kind of the Lord to lay out, these are what the gifts of the Spirit, they do exist. They exist in the true church. They're signs to the believers. And, and, and I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. And the other thing that stands out to me is that both of these sections, whether you're talking about not turning people away, well, I guess it's the same section, not turning people away and also using the gifts of the Spirit, neither one of those is about you. Neither one of those is a selfish action. It's it's forcing you to think about others. What are the needs of others? What are the needs of the situation, right? 
Um, you're thinking about this person who's coming in, who is interested in learning more about the gospel, who's heard something or seen something or whatever, has been invited. Welcome them in. It's about the outside. It's about them, not about what you want or how you want to, what kind of club you want to have, you know, secret club of, of just your best friends in the church. And then the other thing is with the gifts of the spirit, you can't just make them happen. You can't manifest that on your own. And even if you feel like I have a, like, honestly, when I, I think I can read people pretty well, I think that's kind of a, a gift of discernment that I have. But I also recognize that some of it's just, I, it's a, maybe a natural ability, but there are other times when I'm like, oh, okay, this is different. This is not just me being able to understand people. This is the Lord pushing to me to another level where now I'm understanding more in depth what this person is about or where they're coming from. One of the one of the biggest examples of that was also on my mission. <laughs> um, we were attracting and we we knocked on this door and the guy answered the door and immediately, immediately I felt darkness. And we did our door approach thing. My my companion was a greenie and he, you know, did his whole door approach thing. He was so focused on saying everything right, you know, and whatever he I don't think he picked up on it. But the guy was just looking at me and I, I just felt like we need to leave right now. And he was like, come on in. Yeah, let's talk. Come on in. And I was like, you know, we'd just like to set an appointment to come back another time. We're a little pressed for time right now, but we'd like to come back another day. When are you available? He's like, right now I'm available. Let's go inside. And it was just like this feeling of do not go inside. Do not say yes. Get out, you know. And everything about the conversation seemed fine. Everything about the guy, his appearance, he didn't look like a crook. You know, his house was fine. It was like, there's no good reason for me to feel that way other than it was the spirit saying, this isn't right. Something's not right here. And, you know, I just kept saying, oh, we'll come back another time. We don't have time right now. My companion's looking at me like, what are you talking about? We've been tracking all day. Of course we have time. You know, and I was just looking at him like, just just go with it. <laughs> and eventually we did leave. And he was like, what was that? And I was just like, I don't know, dude reading people is one thing that that was a completely different experience that was the lord saying this is not the right time or place for this and so i think it's all about what the lord needs from you at that moment could we have taught a lesson could we have gone inside and forced the issue maybe i don't know what was what why he was saying no i don't know why he was pushing me and away from going in and teaching our only lesson that day but whatever it was, it was that moment we needed that gift. We needed that help from the Spirit. So I think that's kind of how the gifts work. I think that when you need to heal someone, you can't just say, okay, I'm I'm going to heal someone now. You know, if it's what the Lord wants, you will have that gift. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me how the Lord and his prophets in the scriptures and the general conference and things, they describe miraculous things by practical examples. Yeah. If you were to have faith like unto a mustard seed, you could move that mountain. And the, <laughs> to think about that, you think mustard seed's pretty small. So you're saying that the ability to do this impossible task is not dependent on a great amount of force and power. It's more dependent of something so imperceptible. You know, little things like that where I, I, I often think we get carried away with our religion or religions being some sort of miraculous 
higher power. And if we can't understand it all, it then must be like Star Wars and the Force, you know? Or if we can understand some of it, then there can't be any mysteries we have to understand. It's like all or nothing. Hmm. And I look at like General Conference and I think to ourselves, I think if the early saints were to see our current General Conference live, cameras simultaneously being interpreted in hundreds of languages all around the world, saints gathered at home in stake centers, watching it on their iPad listening to it on their phone while they're gardening, listening to it again and rewinding it and saying, what was that? I want to listen to that one more time. Listening to it with no sound, with text on the screen, with with um, ASL help, you know? Mm-hmm. All of these things. I would say that is a miracle. That is so amazing. But we that live in it, we sometimes think, Oh, but it's technology and and we had Dancing with the Stars and so it's no big deal, you know, and it's like, well, what the heck? We kind of forgive the magic of it all and realize that our society is greatly blessed. You know, we we are in a great time and just as to us, this seems normal um, to the Lord, moving a mountain with the faith of a mustard seed may be really normal to him. You know, <laughs> and so he's trying to bring us along and say, you know, I, I think sometimes we we are the ones that limit the miracles in our lives. It's kind of that moment where it's like, help thou my own belief, where we want something and the Lord says, do you believe? And you're like, yeah, yeah, Lord, I believe. Do you? <laughs> well, no. And that's where he's when we're honest and we're truly seeking like it says where we're truly seeking the lord then he can give us some of those tender mercies you know you look at your example is it we could analyze that scenario and say was it your worthiness was it your attention to detail was it the prayers you said that moment was it your mission president going to the temple and praying for his mission was it your mom and dad at home you know praying for you you know was it where was this was it your ancestors was it your daughter in heaven looking down and saying, that's my dad where does this all come from? You know, who, who, and that's where we can say, it's just the mercy. It comes through the Savior, through his love. And all of us together, trying to be like him, enables these miracles, these blessings, these gifts of the Spirit to help and bless each other. So section 47, it's pretty short. The Lord wants to keep a history. Period. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, you know, and really the the Sunday school manual said the heading for that section is the Holy Ghost can direct us as we fulfill our callings, and it's basically saying you know John Whitmer wanted reassurance. He kind of probably felt a little bit overwhelmed in the calling that he had and wanted just a little bit of guidance and reassurance. And I, when I was Elder Scorn president, I felt constantly overwhelmed, mostly because I felt like I was not doing as good a job as I wanted to in my head. I, I wanted to like really get people fired up and I wanted people to really see their potential. And I felt like I, it was on my shoulders to make that happen until uh, I realized that, you know, that's not completely my responsibility. It It's something I can contribute to certainly, but it's not my responsibility to make people achieve their potential. And I felt frustrated a lot, like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not enough. I'm never enough. And it took, you know, maybe 
six months of that kind of feeling of I'm treading water here, I'm going uphill, I'm taking one step forward and two steps back with some with some people until I realized, you know what? Have a little bit of grace with yourself. Give yourself a little bit of slack and also realize that it's not about you. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's not about what where you can take people. It's about the Lord and it's about the Holy Ghost being that impetus in people's lives to make them make changes. Provide the forum. Give them the opportunity to feel the spirit. That's what your job is. What happens after that is between them and the Lord. Give them the opportunity to feel the spirit. And so I can testify that the Holy Ghost can help us feel that reassurance, not only that we're that we can do a good job, that we can fulfill our responsibility to, to our fellow people, but also that uh, can kind of course correct us when we're going a little bit crooked. Um, I felt that about halfway through a year, my first year of being an elders quorum president, it was kind of like, okay, there was a, a mark where I was like, I think I'm I'm pushing too hard against something that isn't there, you know. I need to start looking around and saying, what are the real opportunities here? And, and what's my real purpose here? It's to provide a space for the spirit to do its job. That's it. Yeah, I love I love the, the Book of Mormon, the story of Alma, and how there's times when he had immense success. And then there's times when he had to be a little bit sorrowful and go through those moments where you, like, with Amulek, when he had to, him and Amulek had to build themselves up. They had to like, <laughs> we need some extra help. And it's kind of similar to where the, the Savior, you know, the, the apostles, they were, they were excited. And, and the Savior said, you can do all these things in my name that I'm doing. And they go out and, you know, have some success. But then they, they reach a point where it's not working anymore. And they come back to the Lord and they say, hey, what's going on? And he says, well, this requires much fasting and prayer when they were trying to cast out some devils and, and things like that. And and uh, it's interesting because I think we're never done learning, you know, we're never done growing. And, and the, the lessons that we learn, you know, that's like revelation. Revelation is such a unique thing to cultivate. And, and uh, it will always require us to be to seek oneness with the Lord that there are certain things that you know we we can we can get better at things we can become it can become easier but the principles that the Lord gives us in his commandments and, and what he asks of us will always be there anyway but I thought it was interesting this section you know Oliver Cowdery I thought it was interesting that he gets this calling and he is a well-known well, not well known, but he's well educated. Yeah. You know, and it fits. And sometimes we get callings in the church that sometimes we think, oh, I have this talent. This calling must not be revelation because it fits so well. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just coincidence. Or you're, you know, or we get the opposite of that where you get a calling and you have no experience in that field. And both of those require faith there there are some callings you know i've heard for a long time if you have a pickup truck you get called to be in your nuts, you know <laughs> that's why i don't buy a pickup truck no i'm just kidding <laughs> but there are things like that and anyway so well, I, I thought it was interesting because you look at oliver cowdery's background and, 
he's definitely prepared to be a historian. Yeah, in in the Revelations in Context book about this section, um, it says, you know, that Oliver Cowdery was called to a mission to the Lamanites, and Peter Whitmer was appointed by the voice of the elders to keep the church record. So kind of like they elected him, he'd be good to do it. Um, Joseph Smith Jr. said unto me, you must also keep the church history. Whitmer was comfortable transcribing Joseph Smith's revelations, but hesitant to embrace the unfamiliar role of historian. He told Joseph, I would rather not do it. But he agreed to accept the assignment if the Lord willed it, in which case Whitmer continued, I desire that he would manifest it through Joseph the seer. Basically, he's like, look, if it's my choice, I don't really want to do it. But if the Lord wants it, I want to hear that. I needed that reassurance to know. And then I'll do it. If that's what the Lord wants, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're asked to do. It doesn't matter how bad you don't want to do it or how uncomfortable it makes you feel. Um, a lot of times my callings have made me feel very uncomfortable, very outside my comfort zone. And yet it's like, okay, well, this is the reason why I'm being called to do this is for some reason. Whether it's for me, whether it's for the people I'll be serving, I don't know. But I want to hear that. Everyone wants to hear that. And I, I, I can confidently say that there are times when the, the Spirit will manifest it to you as you're carrying out that calling that you're not feeling great about. You'll find you'll you'll come into circumstances where you're like, this is the reason why I'm doing this. This is it because of today, because of this moment, because of this conversation, maybe no other reason than for that. And as you continue to do it, you'll see I wasn't super sure about this, but now I'm now I know why, you know, and it may be a year later after you accepted the calling that you that you see that. But um, uh, it says also in, in the Revelation uh, the Lord affirmed Whitmer's twofold assignment to write and keep a regular history and assist my servant Joseph in transcribing all things which shall be given him. Responding to Whitmer's insecurity about his writing skills, the Lord promised, it shall be given thee by the comforter to write these things. Three months later, Whitmer began his history, the book of John Whitmer. I think about how many times I've heard people say, I'm not cut out for that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know if this is the right thing for me. I don't know if this was inspired by the bishop or if the bishop's just making stuff up. Give it a shot. Have faith. And then ask. Ask for reassurance. Ask for guidance. You'll get it through the Holy Ghost. It will happen. Even in callings where you're like, I am totally not the right guy for this. There's 15 other people in here that could do a better job than me at this. You know what? You were called to do it. And there's a reason why. And... That's why we should be really careful about turning down callings, you know, because there's a reason why those come up and there's a reason why your mind, your name comes into someone's mind because there's something you need to learn because there's something you have to offer. And that's the opportunity for you to do that. Yeah, I think about that quite a bit with uh, sometimes you think, was the bishop in there just throwing darts at pictures, (laughs) you know, or going with whatever's easier and at the end of the day, I have to tell myself, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It matters what you do with it. Can the, heaven forbid, you know, I'm not trying to speak ill of anyone. Can the wrong situation be turned into a right situation? And that's where I, I always have to come back. This is not the church of the bishop. This is not the church of the first counselor. This is not the church of the prophet. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And he knows that we are imperfect. 
he asks of us to be organized in this way, to work together in our church meetings and assignments and callings to help one another, to cultivate the gifts of the Spirit, to increase our talents, to not bury them, to be involved, to seek the righteous, to seek those looking for the truth and share the gospel with them. In all of that, he knows imperfection is there because it's us. We are the product. We are the imperfect ones. And as we labor with all our heart, we get refined. Our hearts change. We have those moments when we say, oh, I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe I thought that way. I can't believe, you know, and we always are humbled that he still called us and gave us an opportunity to be part of the work. And that's the humblest thing is, is no matter what we do, we, we won't be enough. But we can do our best and we can be available. You know, we might not be the best at something, but we can sure show up. And I think that also applies to sustaining someone else. Um, there have been times when, you know, I see someone get a calling and my first thought is, uh, I don't know if this guy is cut out for it or something like that. And I'm honest, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, OK. But then I'm quickly I quickly get a feeling of guilt, like, what the heck? Sustain him then. If you don't think that he knows what it, what he needs to know or that he has experience to be able to fulfill this, help sustain him. Be be helpful. Tell him, I trust you. You've got this. Because maybe he's having those same thoughts too. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know if I can do this. And instead of reinforcing that negativity, go in and say, I sustain you. I've raised my hand for you. And I, it means something, you know, make it mean something. Section 48 is kind of just some land ownership, save money section. I don't know how to, I don't know how to summarize it. <laughs> it's not even included in the Sunday School Manual. Oh, is it not? No, there's no, I mean, there's no section about it. There's no info about it at all. I, I'll do, I do know this, that the Lord has given the church some principles um, that I'm always reminded for in general conference when the the um, what is it called the the assessment or the the audit the audit the church audit to be presented to the first presidency is given to everyone in public very particular about the fact that the audit isn't for us it's right. for the first presidency um, that they always mention that phrase that says in the church follows the counsel it gives its member of living within their means, avoiding unnecessary debt, and saving for a rainy day, you know? And that that's very wise, and that's kind of a integral to the church culture. And it starts with revelation from Doctrine and Covenants, how the Lord guided the saints and those leaders through practical knowledge and things and spiritual knowledge and, and all these things which which is great you know uh, I like the the conference talk of it was a couple of years ago it was someone it was a president of the 70s I think and he was mentioning that a young girl was praying about how she could feel the spirit more in her life and and she was told simply clean your room <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, I think sometimes we we expect we think great our problem is this big my problem is this big 
So I expect my solution to be equally as large or larger because it's got to overpower. And the Lord doesn't overpower things. The Lord is really good at maneuvering and understanding, you know, the root cause of something, you know. And you, you think about uh, the Syrian general who was commanded to bathe in the River Jordan, you know, seven times or something. And we sometimes think, oh, well, you know, I thought even that he wouldn't, the prophet didn't even come out. He sent his servant to tell me, aren't there even greater rivers than this in Damascus? And, and his general kind of tells him, if the Lord would have asked you to do a great deed, you'd do it. If he asks you to do a simple thing like sell some land and save some money, can you do that? <laughs> well, the thing, the thing about this is it's literally starting the foundation for a new city. And so the Lord's telling them, hey, do this, do that. And it may not be completely clear to them what that means in the long run. But he's saying, number one, we need to start building these habits. Number two, we need to start getting organized as to what the city will look like and how everyone's going to participate in that city. Because the Lord's got in mind Kirtland, and the Lord's got in mind Nauvoo, and the Lord's got in mind Salt Lake, and the Lord's got in mind who knows what to come in the future, right? And he's telling them, just do these basic things right now. I need you to start to start uh, purchasing lands, acquiring things, distributing land according to needs. So they kind of get in that mindset. And maybe in the at the time they were probably like, yeah, I guess we need to start doing this. But they may, maybe they didn't see the end product, or only a few did. But I think it's really, really interesting how kind of is a is an important little nugget of get I, I used think to about, stuff. Yeah, I think about the Doctrine and Covenants as like the Book of Mormon, how several times in the Book of Mormon it tells us we wrote the more particular things here about the spiritual things because all of our doings, our kings and our wars and all our politics – there's not one hundredth that could have been could could fit. You know, it's like a very condensed. And I see, which is my opinion, the doctrine of covenants is kind of a mixture of everything. There's some practical governance. There's some corrections. There's some personal revelations asked of people. Then there's specific revelation for church members. Then there's like structural organizational, you know, things like that. And it was a very kind of condensed time period to get the saints going. And you look at the the Book of Mormon saints and. And they, they they became a very industrious people, you know, that the gospel in their lives helped them technologically, you know, it helped them to be industrious. And they had trade and they had currencies and they had all of these very sophisticated cultural things. Right. And I get a little glimpse of that, that the Lord works similarly. He gives his people that the gospel isn't just so you pray more. It's so you pray more and then you do more and then you're more industrious and you grow and you affect your environment and you're a responsible citizen. And, you know, all these things that I, I don't know. I just see a, an interesting parallel between the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants and how the Lord deals with his people. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.